Today's episode of The Beginning of the End is sponsored by Detroit Bikes. Well-made, minimalist, tough bikes, manufactured right here in Detroit and inspired by European bike culture. Detroit Bikes encourage cycling by making an accessible, enjoyable bicycle while continuing Detroit's legacy of quality manufacturing and design. And you know what? These bikes are killer, period. Check out the A-Type and B-Type Detroit Bike online at DetroitBikes.com. From WDET in Detroit, this is the beginning of the end. Stories about when, how, and why things end. I'm Alex Trajano. Thanks a lot for listening. Today's episode started with the idea of telling the story of a man's decision to end serving his country in the armed forces. But as I got deeper into it, a couple of other interesting storylines popped through that really surprised me. See what you think. And you should know, there isn't any curse words today but there are a couple of bigoted slurs that are offensive. So get the kids out of earshot or listen to it later, okay? All right, here we go. When I asked David London about the first memory he has of his dad from his childhood, he said, I see him passed out on a plaid lazy boy with headphones on, listening to Chopin with his funny smelling Cokes. He was a pharmacist tech in Vietnam and later an organist at their church and was never really an active father. They never played catch. They never did guy things. His dad was an alcoholic, and David only remembers the huge rawhide belt that he was beaten with if he got a C on his report card. These are the only memories he has of his father. And they lived all over the place. His family moved seven or eight times before he was in third grade. which means I had no roots. I had no home, no friends, nothing. We moved all over the place and were generally pretty poor at the time. I lived in Detroit for a while. We lived in Big Rapids, uh, all over the place, Lansing, um, and uh, ended up, uh, after my mother and father got divorced, we landed in Madison Heights. And like many kids of divorce, he had to man up at 11. Because of that, my, uh, my mother went off and would work 80 hours a week, and I was left to raise uh, my brothers and sisters, uh, so which I was the oldest of five. Quick side note, my oldest sister, La, had the same deal as David. Me and my two sisters were latchkey kids for a period of time during our grade school years, and when we'd come home from school, our parents had just left for work, so La had to feed us and make sure we didn't die and stuff. She was about 12. And if you ever meet La... Please don't ask her about the effect those times had on her. Unless you have a couple hours. Anyway. At that age, when you're given that much responsibility, um, you don't see it as a burden, per se. You just see it as part of, you know, growing up. And it's only in hindsight when you hear other people talk about, you know, the things that they did and you realize that you missed out on a lot. He did miss out on a lot and wanted so badly to be part of something completely different than what he knew as a kid. He wanted to be part of a team or a group where everybody had each other's back. So where would he find it? In college? Probably. But they had no money, 
And seeing as his father was in Vietnam and his granddad served at Pearl Harbor, the armed services seemed like the only way David was going to find a place where he belonged. So? I actually signed up when I was 17. 12 days after he graduated from high school. At that age, you actually have to get a note from your mom to join the army because you can't legally sign paperwork until you're 18. He says it was a decision that he made completely on his own. My father was not part of it. He was no longer even part of the family. We didn't hear from him for the next decade after that, pretty much. So, off to basic training he went. I was stationed at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, the home of the 101st, um, the same guys that landed in Normandy. The culture is antithetical to what the final result is. And the reason I say that is basic training the sole purpose is to take human beings, break them down into the most base components that you can possibly conceive of, break every last will uh, that you have, and then build you back up into a soldier. So it is by far the most depressing time of my life and exhilarating. Um, you are, you don't even have a name. You are the last four digits of your uh, social security number. And you are just part of a larger whole. So David made it through all of that and started his training working on the Apache helicopters, both electrical avionics and armament. The ones who actually deal with the 30-millimeter chain gun and Hellfire missiles and whatnot. But the problem was that was such a complex field that the training for it was incredibly long after basic training. And because of that, you had to sign up for six years. No problem. He was committed to the long haul and gave everything he had to the team he was finally a part of. And he excelled. But there were some issues. I was just always a little bit different. I was a city boy, and a lot of the guys down there uh, had come from the country. Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, um, Texas. Uh, I was probably far too introspective for my own good. And uh, didn't participate in sports. While somebody else was, you know, wrestling in the mud and, and you know, doing just generally guy things, I be off reading or something like that. You know, writing long treatises on, on self-discovery. And so it didn't really ingratiate myself to the rest of the soldiers. He was never picked on or anything, but he was one of those smarty pants kind of guys. I asked far too many questions and, and uh, tried to propose different alternatives uh, to the way that we did things. Um, my, my desire to make things work smoothly doesn't go very well with military. Uh, uh, yeah. You know, it's funny because the, the, the first word that comes to my head is sort of like this annoying kind of know-it-all or something like that. You know what I mean? Like you had good intentions. Yeah, and I'm sure I came off that way, which is unfortunate, but I knew I mean, am no I far way. off the mark by saying that? Or do you no, think? it's 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 probably, <laughs> that is probably how I was perceived, that why can't you just go along with things and why do you have to keep yeah. bringing this up? And, and I'm sure that, uh, um, you know, uh, I tend to rub people the wrong way. Well, in my opinion, so what if he's a nerd and doesn't want to kick the ball around or wrestle in the mud with the fellas? I'm kind of that guy too sometimes. But in David's situation, I don't think it held off the beginning of the end. You know what I mean? Because this happened. Uh, a friend of mine had come over and we were watching a football game. We had lugged a couch up three flights of stairs. There was no elevators. And uh, um, had set it up in my room. I was on one side. My friend Hendrix was on the other side. We were watching a football game. 
The doors are always open. Everybody's room is open. So uh, this one guy comes in, takes one look at this, and literally runs away down the hall to go grab other people. One by one, he would drag them to my room and point and then go get other people. I had no idea what was going on at this time. Apparently where he was from, if two men are sitting on a couch and there's not a woman in between them, you're gay. David is now the star of a rumor in the army during Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Find out what he can and cannot control after a word from our sponsor. You're listening to The Beginning of the End. Stay with me. The Beginning of the End is sponsored by Detroit Bikes who make these really well-made commuter-style bikes right here in the city of Detroit. And one of the things that makes their story so interesting is the founder and president, Zach Pashik, who was basically Calgary's most interesting man alive, who left it all behind after he fell in love with Detroit. Just kind of bought a ticket on a whim, came by myself, wandered around for four or five days, and just slowly started falling in love with the city and the people here. And He says there were a few things about his visit that stole his heart. The first one was talking to PJ at PJ's Lager House. A very cool bar in an area called Corktown where a lot of bands play. I walked from my hotel and uh, on my way back stopped in at PJ's and he started telling me all about Detroit and his feelings for the city and why he was there. Um, there was one night I stayed kind of late and I wanted to get a cab and he kind of laughed and was like, oh, like, don't, <laughs> don't worry, I'll, I'll drive you. I mean, in Calgary, bar owners don't drive you home <laughs> when they close up shop. The conversation with PJ was amazing. Then instantly he was connecting me to all kinds of different people, and interesting people, who then in turn wanted to introduce me to more people. So yeah, he packed it all up and became a Detroit entrepreneur. He set up a 50,000 square foot factory on the west side of the city, hired a tight-knit group of highly skilled tradesmen and women, and they're designing and manufacturing these really high quality bikes, minimalist and tough. Check them out and fall in love at DetroitBikes.com. Okay, back to the show. This is the beginning of the end. I'm Alex Trujano. David London always wanted to be part of a team to fill a void from his childhood. So he joined the Army, worked really hard, excelled, and became the best avionics technician of his platoon. Then someone started a rumor that he was gay, about uh, a couple weeks later, my platoon sergeant out at the airfield pulls me into his office. And uh, he's gruff, dwarf-like kind of a guy. And uh, he says, yeah, well, I, I think you know why, I'm, why you're here. I said, no, I have no idea. He said, well, the guys think you're gay. And I thought for a second and came out, well, no, I'm not. Well, whatever you guys want to do on the weekends is, is okay with me. And said, no, no, no. I had to reiterate. I'm, I'm not gay. I'm not sure where this came from. I'm not. And he was having nothing of it. And he said, well, if, you know, you homos on the weekends want to do whatever. I can't stop you, whatever. And the entire conversation was back and forth like that. There was no convincing him. He was already completely 100% convinced. When that moment came, when he says, the guys are talking, you're gay, and you paused to think, what flashed in your mind? 
it all sort of came crashing to the front of this is now an issue. There was, I mean, we didn't like to talk about it, but there were uh, attacks in the military. If somebody was, somebody thought somebody else was gay, there were actual beatings that uh, in the 90s, there was a couple instances where people were beaten to death. And at that point, I was scared. So, yeah, so all that stuff probably flashed in your mind, like, oh, my gosh, I might be beaten for this, too, and it's not true. Yeah. So so you were think, you must have had to think in that moment, how do I handle it with this guy, the sergeant? What do I say to him to really impart it without coming off as, like, being, you know what I mean? Like, sometimes when you deny something so emphatically, they're like, oh, yeah, it makes you seem like you really are. That is exactly what was going through my head, which is, how do I handle this situation where I don't dig myself into a deeper hole? So he decided to call a meeting with the platoon to clear the air. And the first thing out of the sergeant's mouth was, Dave says he's not gay. But what he wants to do on the weekends is just fine with him. Uh, We just can't talk about it. Everybody treat him the same. Then David tries to stop them to explain again that he's not gay. But for some reason, it's just not working. I ended up having to cut this short because he uh, he wouldn't let go. Um, and uh, at that point, everybody kind of snickered and we went on our way. And I thought it was just an embarrassment that I would get past. Well, he didn't get past it, and it persisted. He was denied special things like four-day weekends, hot food, and showers when they were available. You know, David was never beaten or anything. His day-to-day was somewhat normal. And he worked his way up to E4, which is a specialist whose next stop is sergeant school. This is a normal trajectory for a guy like David. But it's also where he ran into a brick wall, face first. I was told, point blank, you're a fag, and I'm never going to send you to sergeant school. He's like, you will never advance. You will never move up. You will never move on. My platoon sergeant told me that to my face. David toughed it out and stuck to the job at hand. He was good at what he did and enjoyed it, and he plodded by. Later, a new platoon sergeant came in, but was briefed on what the previous sergeant thought. So even though I was treated better by him, it was still there. I was never going to uh, sergeant school, and I was never advancing, and I was never leaving. I decided I had to do something, but I would not, I could not allow myself to get out with anything less than an honorable discharge. That does affect your ability to get a job. It affects your ability to, you know, for uh, benefits. So I hit the library. I actually started looking through the UCMJ, the Uniform Code of Military Justice. I did my research, and I found there's one part of the code that is noncompliance of military regulations, specifically weight. And I found a loophole that if you gain a lot of weight and you no longer are within military regulations they have to release you. But I realized that was probably my only chance of being able to get out with an honorable discharge and move on with my life, Um, given that the the team that I wanted to be part of didn't want me to be part of it. So he drew up a plan on how to gain a ton of weight. And there's no mystery formula here, folks. It was fried chicken, burgers, and pizza. And almost immediately, people took notice. My close friends knew what I was doing. Uh, The people who weren't so close figured it out. And uh, at one point, um, my captain pulled me aside and said, look, I know what you're doing. I've seen this before, and uh, is there any way I can stop you? 
Um, is there anything I can do to change your mind? I said, at this point, I, you know, the, the battle lines have been drawn and there's no way for me to win this. They even ordered him to do extensive training and counseling to try to stop the weight gain. David just ate more and put on a total of 40 pounds. It was starting to affect me psychologically. I mean, you start to see yourself differently, too, and you're no longer a fit fighting machine. And even though I'd have, you know, second thoughts about it, I knew that this is what I needed to do to move on. And even though I hated myself for having to do this, and I felt that I was letting my, uh, my platoon down, I felt that I was letting my captain down, it was a, a shame that I was willing to take on to be able to move on with my life. Yeah, but was there any point of view that was like, there's the shame of them letting you down a little bit? My entire life, I have searched for a group, a team, a dynamic, a, a, a family. Um, I have no roots. I have no history. In school, I, I envied guys who were Italian or Irish or, you know, the, you know, I envied the black guys. I envied people who had some sort of background that they can cling to, something they say, I am this. In my entire life, I've never had any of that. I've never had a group um, that I'm part of. I've always been just out there on my own. And I thought I'd found it. I thought I had found a team that I was part of, that I was integral to, that where I felt needed. And then to find out that that team turns on you and that it was sort of an illusion up to that point. The disillusionment was not them turning on me. It was that I realized what I thought I had, I had never had. I realized if I'm ever going to find that, it's something I'm going to have to create. So it was done. He gained the weight and received his honorable discharge, packed up his car and went home to Michigan to start a new life. He learned graphic design, web development and coding for a gig at GM. And then he got married and had three kids and later became a creative director at a marketing and advertising agency. And then he received a letter. I had not heard from my father for probably a decade. Um, and I'd been out of the Army for um, uh, probably about two years at that point. And out of the blue, I had received a letter. And it was from my father. He was going through AA. He had gotten to the step where you have to come clean and, and sort of make amends for your, your past failures. Right near the end, he came out to me. He admitted that uh, one of the reasons why he had drank his whole life is to hide the fact that he was ashamed that he was gay, that he had lived his entire life as a lie had gotten married and had kids because that was what was expected of him and had masked whatever pain that he felt with alcohol. He apologized profusely in that um, for not being there and not being uh, the father that I needed growing up. I wasn't sad, I wasn't angry. By that point, I had long since forgiven the man. And uh, I just said, you know, figures and laughed and moved on. 
Because of the isolation that I experienced in my time in the army, when my father finally did come out to me, I was able to understand him like I wouldn't have before. I understood his fear and why he would hide something like that from his family. And it's because of this that I found forgiveness and I was able to let go of that anger and resentment that I carried around with me and was able to move on. And that's made all the difference. The Beginning of the End is a production of WDET, and this episode was edited by Lou Bluen and Shelby Jopi. Today's music is provided courtesy of our friends at Ghostly Songs. Our theme song is by the great Detroit band Duende. You can find Duende at duendeole.com. That's D-U-E-N-D-E-O-L-E.com. I'm Alex Trujano on the Twitter at A Trujano Detroit. And so is this show at B-O-T-E Podcast. Please follow us. Subscribe to the show on iTunes or however you get your podcasts. And if you like us, please write a review on iTunes. And I know I ask you this all the time and I know it's a pain, but seriously, it helps us grow the show. Don't let this be the beginning of the end of my career, okay? Like our Facebook page too. And hey, tell us your beginning of the end story. I want to do an episode on the end of giving a shit. You know, that moment when you decided to stop caring what others think of you, or when you finally overcame a worry or fear that had a grip on your life. Tell me your story. Best way is to record a short version on your voice memo app and email it to beginningoftheend at wdet.org. Also, check out our website, beginningoftheend.org, for details, show notes, and extras. And special thanks to Max David Howard, our new intern, for all of his good work. And thank you for listening. See you next time. The end.